And I think the best reaction is not one that you craft or try to figure out ahead of time. It's a natural re reaction of weeping with those who weep. And that did more for my healing than any other theological discourse, even though I love theology, that has ever occurred. Someone heard the story. They had an emotional reaction to it. They wept with me and they acknowledged that I had been brutalized and they even apologized like Nehemiah did, you know, on behalf of his nation. If it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out, then Queen, we have a few questions to ask and a few conversations to have. I am your host, Liv Dooley, and I cannot wait to introduce you to some of the women who inspire me to fall more deeply in love with the word of God and worship in everything. I am so grateful you were here. Let's go on and get to work. Hey y'all, it's me, Liv, and I am so grateful that you are back for another conversation here at The Best Kept Secret. I have had the opportunity to meet so many of you in person at different points, and this past week when I was at Cornerstone Church here in Las Vegas, I got to meet Jill. Jill, hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for sharing that you are a part of this community, a listener of this podcast, and for helping me share the word about what we have going on over here. It's such an honor to know you, and I look forward to the next time that I get to see you. Today, we're going to be talking about sensitive content, as you can tell from the title. So I would like to just give you a moment should you desire to pause if you are listening with littles around so that you can filter out the content and decide what to share with them and when. I am really thankful for each and every guest that has come through this season. Each and every season we go deeper and deeper and we'll lighten it up a little bit next season, but it is my hope that we don't feel any fear or anxiety or avoidance when it comes to the difficult subjects because our brothers and sisters need us to be equipped to handle this. And I am just so grateful for every single guest who has come on, every single guest who has shared their insight and their expertise, every single guest who has given us the gift of their time. It has been such an honor to facilitate these conversations, and today is no different. This conversation is something that is really near and dear to my heart because of the issues, the abuse that I was subjected to. And as you will hear during our conversation today, one of the most mm, significant events that I experienced took place when I was 18 years old. Um, I suppose I was actually 19. It was the summer after my freshman year in college and an ex-boyfriend actually abused me. Um, but I will share that 
Although I had talked with mamas and mentors through the nonprofit that I direct for years about really considering the content that their daughters and little sisters and nieces and mentees are consuming, not only online or through the media, on TV, but also through the books that they're reading. It was not until this past weekend that I realized that one of the first times that I was taken advantage of was actually by my worship leader's wife, who also happened to be my best friend's mom. I was in a youth choir as an extracurricular, and it was just amazing. And my mom was really protective of me growing up, so I rarely got to go over anyone's house. But she really felt that this family was quite safe. And one day, right before breakfast, the mom recognized that I liked to read. And so she asked me if I'd ever read anything by Zane, which is an African-American erotica writer. And she passed me a book open to a middle section, which she said was her favorite and passed it over. And I was just shocked. I was just shocked by what I was reading, but I was also hooked. And that was definitely abuse as well. And so as we approach this conversation, it is my hope that you would, you know, think, pray, reflect on those areas that uh, the Lord may want to expose and invite you to uncover with further help through a counselor, or that he may be um, leading you to talk a little bit more about so that others can find freedom as well. The Bible doesn't hide any of the hardships that we endure in our life, and that's one of the reasons that I am so drawn to it. It's one of the reasons that I truly appreciate the Holy Spirit and his guidance. And we handle a couple of these issues in a study of First and Second Samuel named Selah. One of the issues that we handle is Michal. And, you know, she's most widely known for the comment that she made to King David when he was bringing the Ark of God into Jerusalem. However, what we often overlook is the idolatry that she experienced for years, as I have shared with you in past episodes, and the fact that she was really treated as if she were simply spoils of war. Once David went into exile, her father gave her to another man, and once David came back years later, even as the two kingdoms were beginning to reconcile, although he'd already been the king of Judah for about five to six years by that point, he demanded that his wife be returned to him. And that couldn't have been easy for her. The Bible goes into incredible detail about the sorrow and the torment that she would have experienced through the details that are described there. And then we have the relationship that King David entered into with Bathsheba. And although there's a lot of debate surrounding this relationship and 
what exactly happened, who exactly initiated the relationship, we do know that he had the power and that he clearly took advantage of that power and it affected a lot of people. We will return to Bathsheba at a later time. However, she's not the last person that the scriptures here through First and Second Samuel mention because as a result of what he did against Bathsheba, David faces consequences. And unfortunately, one of the people to be hurt was his daughter, Tamar. Tamar was abused by her half-brother, Amnon, and it was a horrific tragedy that the Bible goes into significant detail about. When we know from what we've studied in the past, these are not prescriptive passages. These are not passages that the Lord invites us to follow or instructs us to obey. These are passages that are descriptive that describe what happened. And it is my prayer that we would find strength through them, as difficult as they are, because these women's stories mattered to the Holy Spirit, to the point that he required the biographers to include them in great detail. And in spite of the pain, in spite of the struggle, in spite of the abuse that we find there, I still see a God who cares, a God who redeems, a God who looks down from heaven and desires justice, a God who heals and a God who loves in all of it. Thank you for being here today. It's that time, y'all. My co-host Ty and I are here with another woman you should know. Ty, I love this segment and it is so good to have you here. Can you tell us, who are you introducing us to today? Yes, it's always good to be here. And I get to introduce to you all Anissa L. Wesley. She's a passionate leader who believes in the power of God. She's also a licensed clinical social worker with a heart for mental health. And she helps children, adults, and families heal from trauma and manage unwanted behaviors. She is the best-selling author of the book titled, Please Excuse My Brain overcoming fear and living out your purpose. And Anissa just recently launched her podcast and that is called Brave Purpose. She is super dope. (laughs) He definitely is. My goodness. Congratulations as well to her for being a best-selling author. That is no small feat for sure. But We already know if there's anything that we need, it is more people in the kingdom who can help us navigate grief, trauma, and healing. So I'm really grateful for her work and the specific emphasis that she puts on PTSD. My husband uh, is preparing to retire from the military, and he's been quite open just about some of the things that we've battled through the different tours and short-term Um, PCS assignments that they receive and we have so many friends in the military 
that this is incredibly near and dear to my heart. And I, I just really appreciate that she brings out the grief that you can experience when you first begin to recognize that you're dealing with some of these things and that you now have to go through an additional process as you return to your family, as you try to enter back into the world as you used to know it before you traveled overseas to really just do what the Lord told you to do. And so I, I appreciate that she puts an emphasis there, that she's helping people navigate the grief and the healing that's connected to trauma and PTSD. Yes, and she doesn't she doesn't hold back. She doesn't pull any punches. And so she um she definitely hears from the Lord and advises as she is led from expertise as well. So Anissa L. Wesley is for sure a woman you should know. Anissa is doing really important work and I'm truly grateful for the opportunity to shine a light on her here today because all types of people experience PTSD, including those of us who have struggled with sexual abuse in our pasts. I'm incredibly grateful for our guest's time today so that we can begin to tackle these subjects with wisdom and grace. Mary DeMuth loves Jesus, and that's the most important thing about her. It's not writing or speaking or praying or mommying or any other ing you can find. She flat out loves him. Why? Because he has utterly, truly, completely restoried her. Mary has three adult children, and she's been married to Patrick for 33 years now. She counts those relationships as the most important people in her life. In the mid-2000s, their family helped plant a church in southern France, a difficult but amazing experience. In her spare time, Mary loves to cook, run, garden, decorate, paint, and do interior design. And she's been writing for 30 years plus years, half of them in obscurity. She mentored writers during that time, and she continues to do so through the Rockwall Christian Writers Group and some of her instructional books. Since then, she has written over 45 books translated into five languages. And you can find her books on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, CBD, Lifeway, and Parable. Mary pioneered a literary agency in 2022 called Mary DeMuth Literary, where she shepherds writers toward traditional publishing. And she currently lives in North Texas, serves in her local church alongside her husband, and has had the privilege of speaking around the world in places like Johannesburg, Monaco, Geneva, Munich, Port-au-Prince, Nice, and Florence. Although her past story is difficult, her current story leaks adventure. Not only has Mary been restored and restoried, she longs to see the same for you. Would you please help me welcome Mary Demuth to the best kept secret. All right, y'all. I am really thankful for our guest's time today. I've shared it already. I'll share it again. But, you know, 
it really is something special when a guest agrees to come in and talk about some of their older work. And I just could not, could not be more grateful to you, Mary DeMuth. How are you this morning? I am awake and happy to be here and just um, excited about our conversation today. I am as well. I, It's something that is near and dear to my heart, something that I've endured in my past and mm-hmm. something that I know you speak from and that other women here may be really struggling with or maybe in a place where they want to help others with. And so I do believe that this podcast is going to set a few things in motion and I'm grateful for that. You know, you have talked about how shame... Um, I'm sorry, I don't have these questions actually in order. So Hmm. you've talked about how shame flourishes in silence. And I just want to first ask, what encouraged you to begin speaking about what you've gone through, sharing it through your writing, and then encouraging other women in the sexual abuse and trauma that they have experienced as well? You know, when I, uh, my abuse happened when I was five for a year and um, I didn't, I told one person, actually, I told my babysitter and then she said that she would tell my mom and then it kept happening. And so in my little five-year-old mind, I, I didn't know that adults lied. (laughs) And so she didn't tell my mom, but I thought my mom knew and let it happen. And so it wasn't until I met Christ at 15 that for whatever reason, I think the Lord knew I needed to get this story out of me. And so I I told it then, not to a very safe person, and the person didn't believe me, but I, I had to tell it like five to seven times to get them to believe me. But that began the healing process for me. And then in college, um, I just, I don't know, I've, I believe the Lord just led me to share that story probably too much, to be honest, because once you let it out, it's like this animal that you can't cage back in. Um, but people prayed for me, and that was such a huge part of my healing. And then I made this little, vow, this kind of internal vow where I was like, okay, I'm healed now, and I will never from henceforth ever have to deal with this again. And I pretended that I never happened, and I was all healed, and praise God, and And of course, uh, about a decade later, it all came roaring back. And I was kind of mad at God because I was like, I thought I dealt with this. And he was like, no, there's so much more. And that's that's when I began to share again. And, um, And I realized that when we have an untold story, it won't heal. And I watched as I began to speak about this publicly, which did take some time for me to be able to do that when I did... It was like a gateway for people to share their stories, and then they began to be set free. That is such an encouragement to those of us uh, who haven't really shared much, you know, um, because the one thing that we definitely want to see in the body of Christ is healing. So I'm grateful for your testimony. I'm grateful for even how you shared that prayer was such a significant part of that journey, but you also shared that there were people who did not believe you. And I encountered the same early on. Mm -hmm. The first person uh, was an older woman who I considered to be like an older sister. Not only did she not believe me, but then she said, well, if it's true, do you realize how much harm it could bring him if you were to tell this? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it was really hard. That's horrible. Did her so much. I just you know, I I did grow silent for years and before I told my mother, but I want to ask, you know, 
I mean, really, how do we navigate those issues where we have shared it with someone? They've silenced us. They've, you know, um, kind of ignored it, even if they felt that it might be possible. How do we continue to find the strength to get help? How do we, uh, where do we turn? What would you say to that woman that is like, well, you know, I shared it once and I haven't chosen to go there any further any longer? I think the first thing that you need to remind yourself, tell yourself and write it down that that is their issue, not yours. They have some sort of injury in their life that caused them to have that reaction. And most likely, and not to say everyone's been abused, but most likely when someone has that kind of reaction, it's that they don't want to face their own trauma. And so you are just a reminder of that and they have shoved it down for a long time and they do not want to deal with it. So if you can convince yourself that that is their issue, not yours, then the next step I think that is safe and easier is if you can write down your story and then begin to pray and ask the Lord to show you someone to push the paper across the table to. That's a lot easier than saying it. And once you've written it, you can kind of control how you want it to be said instead of you won't be crying during, you know, telling it, you will just be logically putting it down on paper. Even getting it on paper gets it outside of you because when it's inside, it festers and it's not good for you. It's bad for your mental health, mad for your physical health. So get it out of you and then begin to pray that the Lord would send you a safe person and you can watch them. Um, definitely watch them and see if they have safe behaviors. In one of my books that I wrote, it's called Not Marked, Finding Hope and Healing After Sexual Abuse. And in there are several traits, like a checklist of what a safe person does. And you cannot determine a safe person by what they say. A tree is known by its fruit, um, by what people do. And so watch that person. And so this list of behaviors will help you to find someone who will receive your story with compassion and will mourn alongside you and will pray with you um, about that. Another safe way is to write that story down, at least get it out of you, and then go to a, a trauma-informed counselor because they're paid to be nice and to believe you. So, <laughs> And they have really great expertise. Oh, that is so helpful for sure. I think that, you know, each and every one of those measures is just so practical and even can teach those of us who may now be sitting on the other side of the table um, what, you know, we can encourage others to do as well as they navigate that process of healing. I want to ask you a little bit about what we can do if we suspect that there may be some sexual abuse going on. You have shared in your book, We Too, that uncovering sexual abuse is war. Bringing mm -hmm. healing is reparative and being the true body of Christ, including hands, feet, arms, intellect, action, and passion means both exposure and healing. What would you recommend to those who are really concerned about someone within their community? First, remember that we typically are not equipped to do investigation. And so, first of all, if the person discloses to you and they're under the age of 18, you have a legal obligation to disclose it to authorities, come what may, even if it's a pastor, even if it's some important person in the community or whatever. So that's the first thing. Um, if they haven't disclosed yet, 
uh, then that's where an open-ended conversation would be. And, and that would be a com- conversation that's more bent toward curiosity and, and, and more like um, coming from a, a position of compassion. Like I've noticed your behavior has changed in the past seven or eight months and I'm concerned for you. I'm not here to shame you about your behavior. It To me, it indicates that something's going on. And I want to let you know that um, if you have something that you want to let someone know, I'm a safe place, or I'd be happy to go with you to somebody else if you need to do that. But, um, you know, you can't do anything without a disclosure, unless, of course, like if the person's being physically abused and you see marks, um, then that's one thing. Um, but a lot of abuse is invisible. And so you have to be fairly tender in the way you approach it. But again, if they're under 18, they've disclosed authorities first thing, because the authorities are much better uh, equipped at um, finding out more than you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is helpful. That is helpful. You know, one of the short um, stories that you kind of shared as you went through the scriptures was about the parable of the Good Samaritan Mm. and how this parable reveals a need for justice. And so I'd like to ask you, you know, what does, uh, what did you learn from that parable and what does it look like for us as a community to pursue justice for the victimized? What's interesting about that parable is the very people who should have treated the broken man with compassion walked on the other side of the road. And unfortunately, that's what we're experiencing as abuse victims and sexual abuse victims and even spiritual abuse victims within the church. The leaders tend to be, not always, of course, there's great leaders out there, but there have been leaders who are freaked out by pain and, of course, the messiness if it's someone in their church. They would rather just pretend it doesn't exist. But the Samaritan crossed the road, and the Samaritan not only recognized the pain, which is the very first step, but did something about it treated what he could, brought him to a place where there would be more treatment and uh, and base, and also crossed uh, cultural lines and hatred lines and, um, you know, racism lines. I mean, there was all sorts of like things that the Good Samaritan did for this broken person. And, you know, I was recently reading that passage about the sheep and the goats and Jesus says those haunting words, and I'm still, I will be haunted by them for the rest of my life. In as much as you've done these or not done these to the least of these, my brethren, you have not done them unto me. Or have, And if you've done them, then you've done them unto me. So how, um, how we treat the broken, the marginalized, the hurting is an indication of how we treat Jesus. And we have to get back to what Mother Teresa said about we find Jesus on the distre- in the distressing disguise of the poor. Well, I would argue that we find Jesus in the distressing disguise of the abused. Mm. That is powerful. That is powerful. And we definitely want to remember, to your point, that salvation involves restorative justice. And that yes. our God is a healing God. He is a, a, a God of justice. And we don't want to be afraid, ashamed, or uh, ignore that by any means. In the, the book that I've referenced, We Too, you write, they, being women who were victimized, or people who are victimized are leaving because they're not being shepherded. They're leaving because their brokenness is treated with contempt. 
inconvenience or dismissal. They're leaving because we have preferred protecting our reputations over listening to the cries of those who have been violated. They are leaving because they are not heard, valued, or welcome. They are leaving because they feel utterly alone in their stories and because so few abuse stories are even hinted at on Sunday morning. What would your recommendation to pastors and even leaders of Christian organizations be to be mindful of when they're ministering to women who have been victimized, whether it's from the pulpit or a public space or even privately? I do have a, a very substantive list of resources at we2.org slash resources. And so the first thing I would say, I know a lot of pastors are kind of scared about, um, the need in their congregations. Um, and so if uh, they ever do teach about this, which they usually never do, they'll have a line of people come up at the end. Well, they need to have some community resources available. It may They may not have a counseling center in their church, but they need to be able to hand, um, be the first point of contact, listen, pray, have a group of people that do that and then hand them off to um, some great resources and ministries and counseling centers and all of that. So that kind of takes the pressure off because I think a lot of times they're afraid of what they might uncover. But I would argue that if you are a shepherd of sheep, you need to know the condition of your sheep. And the one biggest recommendation I would give to pastors is preach about abuse from the pulpit. I know it's frightening, but if you you have to understand what it's been like for me in the pews. And for many of us, I can count on one hand how many times I've heard a sermon about this and two of the times were me. And and so in 20 something, 30 years of being at 40 years of being in church, I I thought I was a freak of nature and that nobody else had my story. Of course, I've learned that's not true now, but just tell the story or better yet, invite me or someone else. It doesn't have to be me, of course. Invite someone in your community who has walked a healing journey, who can tenderly tell a story and walk through the Bible, what the Bible teaches about the healing journey. Um, I am struggling with this, just to be super honest. Uh, I am praying and broken and wondering what my next steps are uh, in terms of church. Um, I want to be in a safe place and it's just, it's some, it's really hard to find. And so I also want to dignify those people out there. They're like, it's great to say hard to find. And I just say, I agree. I know. Um, I don't know what the solution is in that case, but we can pray and God is good. He will lead us. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have shared that uh, today we're guilty of grabbing the nearly unconscious innocent and we're traumatizing him or her with judgment laced mm -hmm. platitudes or downright callous harshness. What would you have hoped for? <laughs> what have you taught others that when they are on the receiving end of surprising news, to share with those who have been so transparent about the trauma that they've experienced. Did you hear? Did you hear? Selah, a study of First and Second Samuel, the study that I have written is now available. <laughs> 
I am so excited to get this into your hands, but I want you to know that we're not only going to study the scriptures, but we're going to pray together as well. This study includes six video sessions and 30 guided prayers to help us settle into worship. When you visit Amazon, you can find it there, but you can also grab it at livedooly.com slash Selah. And when you go to that webpage, you will find a freebie as well. If you've ever been interested in learning about when King David composed the Psalms and what was going on in his life at the time, I have compiled a little resource for you to really learn more about that in comparison with 1st and 2nd Samuel. Together, it's my prayer that these resources help us enjoy scripture even more. I'll answer with a story and um probably the most profound healing reaction that I have ever had in my life came when I went to South Africa for the Lausanne Congress of World Evangelization. So you have people from all cultures all over the world. And I hosted a table and around my table, there was a man from uh, Iran and there were people from India and there was a guy from South Africa and he, we all shared our stories around that table. Of course, my story got shared as well. And at the very end of, of Cape Town um, 2010, this is a while back, uh, he came up to me and he said, I want you to look at me. And I just, you know, my heart started beating and I just felt like the Holy Spirit was in that moment. He got on his knees and he said to me, I want to apologize on behalf of all the men who have victimized you. And he was crying and I was crying. And I think the best reaction is not one that you craft or try to figure out ahead of time. It's a natural re reaction of weeping with those who weep. And that did more for my healing than any other theological discourse, even though I love theology, that has ever occurred. Someone heard the story. They had an emotional reaction to it. They wept with me and they acknowledged that I had been brutalized and they even apologized like Nehemiah did, you know, on behalf of his nation, he apologized on behalf of the male sex um, for me. And that was the best reaction I've gotten. Oh, that is beautiful. That is beautiful. We don't have to premeditate it. We can just mm -mm. allow it to emerge as the Holy spirit leads us. That is helpful. And of course, weeping with those who weep instead of, brushing over it with those platitudes and uh, harshness there. So thank you. You know, I really appreciate your work um, and how you have shared that the incidents that we write and that we read about, excuse me, in the Bible are, are not prescriptive passages. Mm -hmm. We've studied that considerably here at the Best Kept Secret, but they are descriptive passages. Mm -hmm. And I do appreciate that they are included because they show us that God is concerned, mm -hmm. that he wouldn't allow the biographers just to gloss over it, to skip right. past it, but that he took his time to tell these women's stories. And so as we've gone through First and Second Samuel here, mm -hmm. we of course have really taken time with the uh, Tamar's story. And, you know, I am concerned by all of it, right? But mm -hmm. even more by King David's reaction. He handles it poorly in every way. Mm -hmm. And 
as a result, his son Absalom, who chooses to take justice into his mm-hmm. own hands, uh, moves on, is exiled into his grandfather's kingdom, and then returns at the invitation of David uh, through the wise woman of Tekoa, who instigates that with Joab's help. But David fails to parent his son, and his son just Mm -hmm. follows these paths of rebellion that increase and intensify with every moment we read. And I know that you have lately focused your work on helping parents, parents and mothers in particular, parent their wayward children. So I wanted to ask if you could share a little bit about your latest book and what you might recommend to a mama, to a father who has regret about how they have stewarded past opportunities with their children and how they might recover and reconcile with their children in the middle of all of that. The super tender subject and um, one that I definitely walk through as a parent of adult kids. But I think the thing that has helped me the most is just getting before the Lord and having humility and asking him to search my heart and to show me the places where I parented because there's 0% perfect parents out there. And, and the assurance is God was a perfect parent to Adam and Eve and they still rebelled and they had a perfect environment. And so even if we tried, which we can't do, we will have failed our children in some way. Um, that's not to say that their rebellion is a hundred percent based on us. I mean, they're all a bunch of little sinners running around starting when, when they were little and said no. Um, so I'm not placing the blame on the parents fully because it's a complicated issue, but I will say this, you, what you can do, what you can control is you. And if you feel like there was a confrontation when your child was 13 and you lost your temper and you feel really bad about it and and you want to apologize. And if you still have com- you know, a way to communicate with your adult child, if they haven't ghosted you, apologize. Err on the side of apology. Tell them you are sorry. You wish you would have done it differently. You're sorry you lost your temper and ask for them to forgive you. Now, you don't do that with the weird parent caveat of, but you've done worse. <laughs> Just own your own and let it sit because that will pave the way for reconciliation more than you trying to teach them what they're doing wrong. Own what you've done wrong. I know that's healing for some parents to hear today. God was the perfect parent and he's had all of us. Yeah. Billions of his, all of his children, billions of us have rebelled. So He knows what it's like to have wayward children. All of them have gone astray. And so if you need help, ask the Lord who understands, um, who walks alongside and can help you in this because he knows what it's like. Amen. Amen. The last question I want to ask you is, how have you yourself learned to keep worshiping through these hard Mm -hmm. things? I know that you've mentioned you're praying about, you know, the churches and even the church that the Lord is sending you to, we're praying with you. Um, but what recommendations even might you give to someone who is struggling to navigate this area and struggling to continue worshiping the Lord in the middle of the hard things? Yeah, I would say um, it is a choice, but I also want to be tender 
because especially if you've been abused in a church situation, I've gotten several emails from people who listen to, I have a daily podcast called Pray Every Day, and it's five minutes long. I read a chapter of the Bible, and then I pray according to that chapter. And I've got these emails from trauma people, people who have been traumatized, who said, I can't open my Bible. I've been traumatized so much by church that I don't know what to do. So listening to the Bible, whether it be through my podcast or other avenues, is one way to worship God if you can't physically read it right now, and that's okay. Um, another thing that I did recently was I was so sick of the same old worship songs over and over and over again on the radio and church, and I just I felt like they became rote to me and they lost all of their meaning. And so I just went on a quest and I asked my followers and my friends, hey, what has really, what worship songs have really helped you, but they're unusual and they're outside of the mainstream. And I went all over the world for it. And then I created a playlist um, that has helped me kind of unjar myself from the normal songs I'm normally singing. And so that's been really helpful too. And if your listeners want to know what that playlist is, they can certainly email me directly at mary at marydemuth.com and I'll send that to them. I will link everything down below. That just almost made me emotional hearing it. I, I just really appreciate how you've shared so much wisdom with us during your time here. You've shared uh, your email. Can you share where everyone can find you through your website, through your Instagram, all the things? Yeah. So on social media, I'm at Mary Demuth across all platforms. And then um, on my website is marydemuth.com. And then the website for the sexual abuse survivors is we2.org. And I'll go ahead and give you the Spotify list and you can just drop it in so people don't have to email me, but they, they can still do that. That's fine. But um, I'll give you that list as well. Perfect. Thank you so much. Before you go, I know you've got to get out of here, but can we ask you one secret before you go? <laughs> uh, the question is, uh, what is bringing a smile to your face lately? It has been just being outside and taking walks and being in nature. Um, I am in my head so much that getting out in nature causes me to be out of that <laughs> and just to be present in that moment and to thank God for what he's created. Mm. Ah, well, thank you for the gift of your time today. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. You have taken us deeper and I know that so many people who listen in will be uh, going to those resources that you've offered. As we prepare to close out, would you pray for us? Absolutely. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for another day of life. And I pray for those whose hearts are tender right now and, and breaking apart. And they may be wondering, will it ever happen? Will I ever be healed? Will I always walk with a limp? And Lord, you are the great healer. You are the one who sees everything. You already know the pain that is in our hearts. So I pray you give us the bravery to share it at first with you and then to write it down and to find a safe person. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with church right now. And I pray that you would lead them to a safe community where they can be themselves and find healing. I thank you for your tenderness and the way that you heal us is not with a hammer, but with velvet, with kindness. You draw us with your loving kindness. I pray that you would um, send us friends 
who will be safe places for us to share our hearts and who will pray for us. I also pray for counselors to be sent and for trauma to be healed and all the new modalities that we have these days. And Lord, I thank you for the bravery of every person listening today. Lord, we're not brave on our own accord. You make us brave because your great power, the Holy Spirit within us does so. And so when we're discouraged, thank you for our weaknesses. Help us to realize our weaknesses and our brokenness is actually a superpower because it causes us to reach heavenward to you rather than live in our own strength. We who are broken um, have that kind of deep relationship with you, and it's a gift. And so we thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Mm, that conversation was good for my soul. I pray that you can say the same. If there's anything that resonated with your heart, which please head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Audible and leave a rating and review, it will truly bless this podcast more than you know. Now, in the meantime, I'm on Instagram at Candid Live, and it would be an honor to connect with you there. Talk to you soon. Love you.